gathering of Cultivate, and the reason that we call ourselves a family is because we believe that God has made us his family because of the work of Christ. So when we gather, we're his people, we get together, we're the church, that's the reason why you're at church today. It's not because you're in a building, it's not because you happen to be here on Sunday morning, it's because you happen to be among the people of God who are gathered together to get equipped for the work that God has called us to do in our everyday lives. And so I hope this morning that uh, that begins to happen for you. Uh, we're doing a series throughout the summer that we're calling Invisible Made Visible. And uh, the, the whole concept behind this series is that you can really know what God is like and have a relationship with Him. Um, the, the Gospel writer John, and we've been going through a lot of the, the stories within John. We're going to do another one today. But John says, No one's ever seen God but the one and only Son, that's Jesus, who is Himself God and is in closest relationship to the Father, has made Him known. And so we're not left in the dark in terms of who God is and what He's all about uh, and what He's like and how to relate to Him and what His purposes is, are, are in the world. We know all of these things because Jesus reveals them to us. He is the invisible made visible. That's where we get the title of the series. So each week what we're doing is going through different attributes of God and then showing how Jesus makes them visible to us. And then in turn how we as Jesus' people can then go out into the world and go, here's what he's like to all the people that we're around, all the people that we get to relate to. Um, so last week, if you were with us, we talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And this week, we're going to talk about Jesus being the bread of life, that he is the bread of life. That's what he says. I am the bread of life. If you're going to follow along in the Bibles in the seats, uh, it's, I think it's on page 741. We're going to be in John 6. So just know that before we get there. I, I was thinking about this concept of Jesus being the bread of life um, yesterday um, because I was hungry. How many of you have been hungry? Okay, good. Most of your life, yeah. <laughs> so, so yesterday, I uh, got, got the chance to, to uh, serve with one of our uh, missional community members and helping to, him to, at least what I thought was going to be, to build a deck. And, uh, and that, the plans change because things often do. And it turned into digging a trench instead of building a deck, which is a lot less glorious and a lot more backbreaking than, uh, than actually the process of building a deck. But, but we, were, we were there to serve, and so, so we were helping to serve out. And, and so obviously it was very hot yesterday, right? Anybody uh, experienced the heat yesterday? And, um, and, and so we're, we're sweating like dogs as we're digging this trench. And um, fortunately for myself, I had another uh, thing that I had to be, at least that's what I told them, um, <laughs> later that afternoon, um, I, I did actually. My, my, so my nephew had a, a birthday party, he turned two, and so I had to go home and get tr- uh, dressed and changed and, and 
uh, unsweated, I guess if that's the word. And uh, so, so we do that, and then we drive out to Reading to, to be at my nephew's birthday party. And before we left, I was so hungry because I didn't really eat anything before we started working that, uh, that I had lunch before we got in the car to leave, knowing that we were going to go to the party and that there was going to be food there. How many of you have ever eaten before you've eaten? You know, you're like, you're pre-gaming at home before you get there, right? So, before the main event. And, and so I eat beforehand, and then we get there, and they've got all this good food all set out on the table. And I'm like, man, that looks really good. And my, I, because I had worked hard that morning, my body's telling me to eat. And even though if I really were to, like, stop and think about it, I go, okay, logically speaking, I don't need to have all that much food. And, of course, you know, that just doesn't happen. You turn that switch off really quick, right? And, and, you, and you end up, you know, making three loops around the table because there's so much good stuff to eat. And, um, and they had these meatball sandwiches that were, like, you know, really good meatballs, and they had really good sauce and sprinkled cheese all over the top of them. And those of you who weren't at breakfast right now, you're like, oh, my gosh, stop talking about this. <laughs> So I had, I had one of those, and I piled my plate full of all kinds of stuff uh, to eat. And of course, like 20 minutes after I down all this food, after I'd already had lunch, and now it's like 3.30, I'm sitting there going, what have I done to my body? You know, like I've filled it upon filled it with food, and now I'm just reaping what I've sowed into myself. And, um, and, and so that meal was like at 3.30, and by the time we got like we started driving home, which wasn't until like 8.30, 9 o'clock, I got in the car and I told Nina, I am still like so full, I feel like I can't move, you know? It's just, I've overeaten to the point of not wanting to even look at food for the rest of the day. How many of you have ever experienced overconsumption in, in some form or fashion? Like <laughs> eating to the point of getting sick, right? But here's the thing, we, we can often overconsume on a bunch of other things too. It doesn't have to be food, right? Um, so we can overconsume on alcohol, and many of us ha- have done that. We can overconsume ourselves in media. We can do it in our workplaces and, and just consume, consume, consume. Uh, we can do it sexually too, and just give ourselves away sexually to the point where we feel like we've, we've overstepped a lot of boundaries and we're reaping the, per- the repercussions of that action. You may have done that with shopping, and, and because of that, you rack up a large debt, and you don't know what to do with that debt, and it's just hanging over you. It's overconsumption. So here's the thing, though. We need to ask ourselves, when we overconsume, what is it that's driving our overconsumption? What, what is it that's the deep, underlying soul hunger that is making us go to these things to consume to the point of over-consuming them where you feel kind of sick afterwards. Um, The truth is, all of us have this kind of hunger in us. And we're trying to satisfy it with things that weren't designed to meet that hunger. All of us do this. And so there are a lot of good things even that we can eat or that we can consume, but when we try to feast on them to meet our soul hunger, we end up getting sick because of them. And so what we're going to talk about today is Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. And what he's saying when he says that is I am the thing which can meet that deep, deep, deep hunger within us. Nothing else can do it. I am the only one that can do it. So here's the thing that we need to realize is that Jesus as the bread of life is 
God's provision for our hunger. God knows we have hunger. He knows that we have need. And He sends His Son to be for us the thing that will satisfy that hunger. Actually, the only thing that will do that. And so, okay, it's easy to say, right? I mean, we could say that and go, oh yeah, Jesus is the bread of life. He satisfies my hunger. Um, and, but really, we're thinking, if that's true, then why do we go to so many other things? Why is it then that we give ourselves away to all these other uh, sources that we believe will satisfy us when really they are just temporarily patching up for us something that's much deeper than that and will never be satisfied by those things. Why do we do that? And then a second question I actually like you to consider as we're going through this is, how will we know when we're going to something else and feeding on the wrong thing? So why do we do it and then how will we know? I want you to keep those two questions in mind as we go through this because we're about to read the section where Jesus says, I am the bread of life and what it means. So in order to understand what he's about to say, though, you need to know a little bit of the context. Because what's happening right before this passage in John 6 is that Jesus has just fed 5,000 people from a little kid's lunch basket. So he took um, you know, five loaves and two fish, and he multiplied it and multiplied it and gave it, you know, the disciples came around with the baskets and people kept eating. And it says they ate so much that they were like full beyond capacity and that there was even leftovers afterwards. And everyone was satisfied. They were all completely full. And, and so what happens directly after that is that Jesus, he gets away by himself to try to separate himself from the crowd. And the disciples decide to take a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, the largest lake in the area. And, uh, and, and they hit a bit of a storm along the way. You may remember this story. They hit a bit of a storm, and they're crying out. And lo and behold, they see Jesus walking across the lake towards them. They freak out because they, they think it's a ghost. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's just it's me. I'm coming out to you. And so he gets into the boat, and immediately the storm ceases. Uh, that's pretty cool, right? And, and so before they know it, they're on the other side of the lake after that episode. And, um, and the next day, after that one, the, the crowd who Jesus had just fed all this food to, he, they, they all come after Jesus. They're like, this guy, he, he filled us yesterday. Let's go look for him because he might have more stuff to eat for us. And so they follow after Jesus to the other side of the lake. And here's what happens when they find him. Okay, that's the context. So we're in John 6. We're going to start in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're not looking for me. Uh, you're, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him the Father has placed his seal of, of approval. When they asked him, what must we do then to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers, they ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he will give bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they asked, uh, would you give us this bread now? Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All that the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given to me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him and, and because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Jesus answered, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now let's look at what he says in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So in order, in order to understand everything that Jesus is talking about here, we actually need to look back in the story a little ways to, to understand what he's talking about by this term manna in the desert. How many of you are familiar with the story of God uh, giving his people manna in the desert when they were in, in the wilderness? So a lot of you have heard that story before. The context is this, that God had rescued his people from Egypt and um, they, they are under slavery because uh, they've been there for 400 years and they've been growing and uh, the Pharaoh wasn't too happy about that. Uh, the fact that they were overtaking his own people and so that he enslaved them to, to the uh, Egyptians. And, um, and so God ransoms them out. He brings them out, brings them through the Red Sea on dry ground, and then God leads them towards a promised land where they're going to be able to worship him. But to get there, they need to walk through a desert. Uh, and in the desert, what happens is they get out in the middle of the desert and they begin to grumble and complain about food. And so they, they start to say things like, man, didn't we have our fill of anything that we wanted to eat back in Egypt? I mean, we got good things to eat. There was fruit and meat and there's everything that we had to drink. And now out here, we're starving. In fact, it would have been better for us to die there than to die out here. Why, why, why can't we just go back, right, to the way that things used to be? Um, and they began to grumble and complain. So let me ask this. Why do we often grumble and complain? You get to answer this. <laughs> we have an unmet need. Or want, yeah. A perceived need, yeah. And what do we believe about that want or need? Yeah, we believe that it's life for us, right? 
So if we don't have it, we'll complain about it because we believe that we need it in order to survive. What else, why else do we complain and grumble? Yeah, because we don't get our way, right? <laughs> and we so desperately want things to work out the way that we want them to work out, right? So when life doesn't, and God chooses a different path for us rather than trusting in Him, that He might have a better way for us, we, we go, this isn't the way that I designed, and I obviously don't have control over the wheel anymore, therefore I'm going to complain about the one that does have it. Right? Yeah. What else? We're impatient. Yeah, we want things when we want them, on the time frame that we want them, rather than asking God what He's trying to produce in us at the time that he might be asking us to wait for something, right? It's crazy that we would do that. Yeah. Yeah, so we're comparing our uh, daily bread to the bread of somebody else, and we're going, their portion looks a lot bigger than mine. Um, So rather than be satisfied with the portion that I've been given and trust that it's enough that I need, we look to the other person and we complain about how much they have. Right? As if God didn't give us enough. Yeah. See, at the heart, I hope what you're hearing, the common denominator of all this, is that we don't really trust God. And we don't trust that He will give us what we need when we need it. And, and a great indicator that you're not trusting God is that you're complaining. That's why it's so hard, like when, later on in the, in the Bible when it says, do everything without complaint. We're like, everything? Come on, God. I mean, and then we start complaining about the instruction not to complain, right? <laughs> yeah, we are spoiled. Incredibly so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, what I've noticed in my life is that when I'm complaining about something, it's often because I'm believing in my heart that the thing that God can give me will satisfy me more than the one who can give it. Right? And so I look to the thing and I go, God, if you just work this situation out, things would be a whole lot better for me. Until you do, I'm going to complain about it because I want my outcome. And, And here's the crazy thing is that even when we get what we're after, what we find out is that it doesn't satisfy us the way that we thought it would, and so we complain about its ability to satisfy us. Right? It's like the meatballs that I was enjoying at the party. I go there going, man, I I need food, and then I have the food, and I go, I feel sick. Why did I eat so much? I start complaining about the food that it tastes so good, so then I overate. (laughs) It's the food's fault. Or the people that, you know, why did you put out, put out so much, right? <laughs> See, when we're, when we're putting all of our hope in something and it's failing to live up to our expectations, we begin to complain because we didn't, it didn't give us the satisfaction that we were looking for. And then, here's the thing, most of us keep going back to the thing that's not satisfying us and complain about how it continues not to satisfy us. Get on this track. If you were to step back from your life for a second and go, what am I doing? Right? <laughs> like, and it's often so clear in somebody else's life. right? And we look at somebody else and we go, man, 
they are just running over and over and over and over again to that. What are they thinking? And then, like, if God were to hold up a mirror to you, you'd go, oh. You just exchange the stuff, but the, the, the heart is still the same, right? See, the other thing that we often do is we complain because we fool ourselves into thinking that there was a moment in our history, there was a moment in time where it was the perfect storm of beauty and tranquility and, and life was awesome and, and incredible and if I could just get back to that moment in time then everything would be great but it's sucked ever since, right? I mean, you, you ever get around somebody who talks that way about high school? And you go, come on, like you had acne and everyone hated you and, and like... If you were to really take a reality check about what was going on, you wouldn't be so, you know, enamored with getting back there. See, and all of us have a moment in time where we look back to you and go, oh, you know, before I had kids, life was just smooth sailing. Before I was married, but when I was in college, when this happened, when that happened, over and over and over again. Is that actually true? No, right? Yeah, we hope so. I mean, listen to what God's saying to, uh, with the Israelites. That you were slaves. You're complaining because you're out in the middle of the desert with the God of the universe who can give you anything that you need. But you would rather be in Egypt because you're romanticizing your past so that it would create for you an idealistic situation so that you can complain about your present. What's better for them? To be slaves in Egypt and have their fill of anything that they want to eat or be in the desert with the God of the universe who can give them anything that they need. It's crazy, right? And yet all of us do this. We all do this. And and so this is how God responds, which is really interesting because if I were God in this situation, I'd be like, okay, you find yourselves out of the desert. Uh, Pick a direction and just start walking. See how far you get, right? See how much food you can produce for yourselves or go back to Egypt and see what they're willing to give you. I bet it's not going to be very much, right? But he doesn't do any of those things. What he does is he he actually comes to them like a gracious father and he says, I'm going to give you what you need. In Exodus 16, verse 4, he says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day This way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they are to bring in, and that will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And so he rains down bread, or you may have heard the term manna, which is like a wafer-type thing that tastes like honey. And they're to go out and collect as much as they want um, before it melts away in the afternoon. So go out, get as much as you can eat for that day, um, but you're going to have to collect it every single day because it will, uh, it's not going to last. It's going to melt away. And he says, don't store it. Just trust that I'm going to give you enough for today's portion, and tomorrow I'll give you enough for tomorrow's portion. And then on the seventh day, I want you to rest to remind yourself that I created the world in six days and rested. Therefore, everything is within my control, and I'll take care of your needs. And so those of you who know the story, what do they end up doing? They hoard it, right? They store it up. And what happens? It rots. They find maggots in it and all kinds of things. They can't eat it. They have to throw it out anyway. Why do you think 
Why do you think that God wanted them to store it up, or not to store it up? Yeah, so that they would develop a daily trust with Him, right? They'd get up every day, look out into the, the desert and go, there is our provision. It came from the Lord. And I will trust Him and gather up what I need for that day, but I will not gather up more than that because I will trust that God will give me more tomorrow. God's saying, I, I don't want you to drift too far from me as you're all prone to do. The whole point of me getting you out of Egypt was so that you would be close to me. So I'd lead you. So the reason that God saved them wasn't to give them everything that their stomachs desired, to, to, you know, but it was to, so that they would be with God all the time. Which, by the way, is the same for us. God saved us so that we'd be with Him. It wasn't just for our bellies to be full, but for our hearts to be overflowing with the knowledge that God loves us so much that He would care for His children. (laughs) Amen to that. So, why do we store things up then? If this is true, why do we store them up? Which, another word for that is hoarding, by the way. Yeah, we're not really sure that God's trustworthy. Even the God who sent His only Son for us. We still look at Him in suspicion and go, I don't know if you have my best interest in mind. Yeah. In a sense, the things that we store up for ourselves, who gets to be God over them? We do, right? My pile of toys, my food, my provision, my, you know? We get to be the sovereign over it rather than God going, no, it actually doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me. But I'm so gracious as to give it to you that you might actually hold it with an open hand and give to those others who have need. And yet we close our hand because we believe that we're God over it. See, some of us, we've been raised to the to believe that we need to be the ones who take care of ourselves all the time. And if you don't do it for yourself, if you don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Look, I'm, I'm not saying don't be wise, don't save. But we can save to the point of not trusting in God, can't we? And the truth is, it doesn't have to just be stuff either. Um, there, there are things that we can store up and hoard for ourselves that we put our trust in, uh, like, for instance, things that have um, sentimental value to us. We can put our trust in those things because they're tied to a certain person or a certain moment in time. And we think, if I let that thing go, then what will I be? Because I'm only who I am because of my memories in the past. Or I'm only who I am because of this person. And maybe they're not even around anymore and you're holding on to all the stuff that, that symbolizes who they were to you and it's creating a mess in your life because you're unwilling to let go of it. Let me remind you, what happens when we store up things? What's the story tell us? It rots. It either rots or it rots you. One or the other. It spoils. Let me say it this way. There is no one 
who can replace God for you. There is nothing that can replace God for you. And everything that we look to replace him, be it manna, be it money, be it relationships, will spoil because it cannot take the place of God for you. Maybe a relationship. Have you ever seen somebody who really looks to another person to be God for them? The sun rises and sets on their opinion of the person. And so when things are going well, they're great. When things aren't going well, they're, they're in the, the sewer. Maybe we've experienced it ourselves. God will not be replaced by anything or anyone. And so every time I look to Mandy to provide for me what only God can, I not only hurt her, but I hurt myself. And we're wonderful gifts to each other. Don't get me wrong. God has given us to one another to to be helpers and supports and guides and and, and to be united as one. But we cannot be the bread of life for each other. We stink at that. And when we try to do that, we're both harmed in the process. All of us have a tendency to look to other things as the bread of life. So let me ask. You don't have to respond to this, but I want you to keep this in mind. What do you believe that you need to live? What do you believe is essential for your life to continue operating? And when you get it, everything will be better. If you lose it, everything's terrible. And then let me ask this as a follow-up. How are you going about getting it? What, what means and methods are you using to attain that which you want? Here's the sick thing. If you look at your prayer life, sometimes you can actually see the thing that you want most. Because if you actually inspected some of the things that come out in your prayers, you're asking for things to replace God, which is crazy. So let me, when you pray, is God the prize? Are you just so thankful for what he's done for you and you can't believe that you get to be in relationship with him and you want others to know about him? Or is he the dispenser of the prize? Is he the one who can give you the prize and so you go to him knowing that he's the source of it, but he's not the actual thing that you need? If we're honest, we ask God all the time for things that we know in our heart will use to actually replace him and then we get angry at him when he doesn't give us the thing that we want to use to replace him. Jesus comes to us and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the manna that God is giving you to satisfy you in your deepest need. I am what you've hungered for. And the problem is, we're often convinced that he's not what we need. And so we're kind of like the crowd, right? What's the crowd do? They, they get fed by Jesus. They think Jesus is a fantastic guy. He goes off and does some other things. They find out that he's on the other side of the lake, and they run across the lake to find Jesus again. And Jesus knows what they're after, right? That's why he tells them in verse 26, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate your fill of the, or you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you're not seeking me because you're looking for me. You're seeking me to give you 
temporary satisfaction as I did yesterday. Another way to say this would be, you're not seeking me with your heart, you're seeking me with your stomach. And I would ask us all to really take a look at our lives and say, am I seeking God with my heart or with my stomach? It's a, a, a key question that will actually reveal to us if Jesus is the bread of life for us. And then Jesus, he goes on to say this in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of, of approval. In other words, he's like, you came all this way, you ran all the way across, like, around the perimeter of the lake to find me, only to get like, the, the smallest rung on the ladder of stuff that I can give. You followed me all this way because you want more fish and more bread. I've got so much more to give you, and yet you're satisfied with everything down here. We're so easily satisfied. I can give you more, he says. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it, one of my favorite quotes by him. He says, It would seem that our, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I I want you to know, God has far richer things for you than what your prayers have been filled with recently. He wants so much more for you than to be satisfied with the things that we're often so satisfied with. I mean, think of the way that we pray. God, will, will you just give me a, a house? Will you just pay down my debt? Can I just have a car that like, doesn't break down on the side of the road? Can you give me enough clothes so that I'm clothed? Or can you give health to my family? Hear what I'm saying. God wants you to have your fill. He wants you to know that He's a good provider for your life. But he wants so much more for, for you than that. He does. He, he wants to actually transform you to be like his son Jesus, which is why he puts you into some of the situations that we try so desperately to claw our way out of. He wants to fill you so that you'd be able to lead your family. He wants to actually transform your neighborhood and your place of work. Do you believe that? Your neighbors your co-workers, that guy across the cubicle that you cannot stand. He wants to work in his life. The reason he's put you where he has is so that you would actually submit to him, be filled with the bread of life, and be able to overflow provision onto the people around you. God wants so much more for you. So do you want that greater satisfaction? Or just like the stuff on the lowest rung of the ladder? And here's the thing. When we get this offer, here's what happens in our hearts. We go, okay, that sounds really good. I I want a few steps up on the ladder. Jesus, what do I need to do to get it? They respond the same way that we often do when we're offered a gift that just seems too incredible for us. They say this, What must we do to do the work that God requires? 
In other words, Jesus, what are the steps that we have to do? How can we ensure that we get this gift? Where do we have to give money? What spiritual pilgrimage do we have to take? How much penance do we have to do? Like, just give me the steps. And Jesus' response, it drives us crazy. I mean, just out of our minds crazy. Because it just doesn't make sense to us. He says, the work of God is this. You want to know how to, how to get the bread of life? Believe in the one he has sent. Do you hear that? Believe. Yeah, but believe. But believe. But like, I need to do more, right? He says, believe. It's offensive to us. And why is it offensive? It's because we, we both want control and we want the ability to take credit for it. Isn't that crazy? Jesus offers us a gift and we go, okay, well, if I can do enough to gain the gift, then I'll feel like I have control over receiving it. And then I can take credit for having received it. And here's how you know that this is going on. When somebody offers you something, do you feel like you need to work in response to getting it? Somebody shows up with a meal at your house. Somebody offers hospitality to you. Somebody does something that you go, man, I didn't do anything to earn this. Do you feel like you're indebted to the person afterwards? You'll know in your heart because that, that, that's what's going on here for these people. And God is saying to them, stop working for what perishes and actually believe in me. The truth is this. You want to know what it means to believe? What it means to believe is to shift your hope from what it was on, the the smaller bread that we were satisfied with, and to shift it to the bread of life that is Jesus. So what do you believe is the foundational basis for what you have in life? Do you believe that you need to make it all happen or do you look to God to provide it all and then work knowing that it all really comes from Him in the end? The, the question isn't, do we believe in Jesus or not? Some of us have been um, sold a, a, a bill of goods that what it means to know Jesus is to say the magic Jesus in your heart prayer and then from that moment on, Jesus is your bread of life. I would ask you this. What areas of your life do you yet believe in Jesus as the bread of life? What areas are you still looking to something else to be your bread, to be your provision? And here's how you know that you're making the shift. Okay, there there are two things. The first is this. When Jesus is your bread of life, you'll want him more than everything else. You'll need him more than you need everything else. You'll look to Him more than you look to everything else. You'll go to Him in that area that you failed to go to Him before, before you go to the thing that you always go to because it's there. Do you want Jesus or do you want what He can give you? I mean, it's kind of like this. I mean, it's sort of like marrying somebody because you want what they can give you. Right? We talk about a relationship with God in terms of all the benefits that you get out of the relationship. And there are a lot of benefits. But we talk about it as if that's the primary reason to get into a relationship with God. And yet if somebody were to do that and say, I want to get married to this person, 
because they're going to feed me and they're going to give me sex and they're going to do this for me and they're going to do that for me. You'd sit down and you'd go, I don't, I don't know if you really understand what we're talking about by marriage here. Like, do you realize that you get the person and not just the stuff that they get you? And yet we talk about a relationship with God as if it's just all the stuff. You realize, right, that when you're in a relationship with God, you get Jesus. Do you know what Jesus is? Do you know who he is? I mean, he existed before time began, and through him, everything was created. Walk out those doors and look at everything that surrounds you. I know it's not that impressive because we're in New Jersey, but go to some place that is impressive. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not really, yeah. Okay, go to the shore and look at the expanse of the sea and know that God created all those things through Jesus. Go to the mountains. See how majestic they are. Jesus was at work saying, I want them formed into that fashion so that when men look at that, they would go, how great is the one that created this? Look at the trees and the rivers. Look at human beings and how intricately they were created to function. Those are made in the image of Jesus to be for us a reflection so we'd go, God is a great creator. And not only that, he not only created us, he redeems us, right? He gave everything he had. He actually became poor so that we who were poor could become rich in him. He took on a human body forever to save those who were in bodies. You realize that before Jesus came to this world, he was not bound by a body. And yet forever, he will continue to exist in a body so that he could redeem those of us that live in bodies. Do you know anybody that you'd be willing to become a worm for? What Jesus did for you is far greater than that. He loves those who hate him. He prays for those who curse him. He took on our rebellion when we were the rebellious ones and were crushed for that rebellion as rebels so that we who were rebellious could be children of God. I mean, we could go on and on and on and just talk about him forever. Do you realize what you have in him? Do you understand how precious he is? The second thing, not only would we want him, but we'd want others to want him too. The, the way I would say it is this, is that when Jesus is our bread of life, we go from being consumers to feeders. Here's what I mean by that. How, do I, how will I know that Caleb, it, my son, who's two, it will be fully formed? How will I know that he is mature as a man? Think about when he's a baby. He needs everything done for him, right? Just, I mean, think in terms of feeding. He, he needs somebody to, to feed him every single day as, as a newborn baby, right? Multiple times a day. All hours of the night. Right? As they grow, what's one of the first indications that they're actually growing up? Yeah, they pick up a spoon. 
and they start to sit at the table. And yeah, they make a mess, but, but sometimes they actually get the food in their mouth. It's great. Over time, that happens more and more, and you're like, how did I live before when they couldn't feed themselves? They start to feed themselves, and they get better at it and better at it. And then they begin to choose foods that they know will be good for their bodies. How do you know when they're fully formed? Caleb will be sitting at his table, at his own home, feeding his son or daughter. That's how I know. As a parent, my job is is pretty much at its end. Or feeding me. That could be likely also. Yeah, better that end. Sorry. Yeah, but when, when he is fully formed, he not only feeds himself, but he feeds others. In the same way, do you know when Jesus is the bread of life for you, you go from needing to be fed constantly to being able to feast yourself on the bread of life to being able to feed others with the bread of life. See how that happens? You are not fully mature until that process happens. And I know, you know, some of you are, are new to the, this whole Jesus thing or you're new to our church, so don't, please don't hear me in terms of like I'm trying to condemn you. But know that being part of a service where you're getting fed is not the end-all, be-all to Jesus' grand plan for your life. Jesus' plan is so that he would make you more and more into his image so that you would actually be able to go out and make disciples of Jesus everywhere that you go that you'd be matured. Paul says it this way, you, you're satisfied with milk, I have meat for you. If you would eat, eat the meat. And he's not talking about like having a meaty sermon. That's still being pre-digested for you and fed to you, right? That's what we're doing this morning. I, I've studied the word, I'm bringing the word, you're digesting the word. That's still going on. When Jesus is the bread of life, You don't come going, what's in this for me? How can I consume everything? You're saying, God, how are you going to fill me? How are you going to equip me today so that I might be in this world, light and life for those who need it, those who are thirsty and those who are hungry? Is that happening for you? That's how you know Jesus is becoming the bread of life for you. So let me say this. If it's not, or if, if you feel like it hasn't been or, or you feel like you ha- you've fallen short or you, you've been looking to other areas as the bread of life, please know this, because this is what Jesus says. So we shouldn't leave here being beat up or feeling bad that we haven't been this. I want you to hear what he says. He says this, But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Hear what he's saying? He's saying you didn't choose him. He chose you. The reason you're his is because he came down from heaven. And even when we continue in looking to other things for our satisfaction, he continues to run to us and run after us. And say to us, I am the bread of life. Don't miss this. Will you let me be the bread of life for you? I think that's his question for us today. Are we willing to let him be that for us? Or are we too eager to squirm away 
and find ourselves satisfied with something else. We're going to celebrate what he's done for us through communion. And, and when Jesus gathers his disciples together on the last night that he's with them, he gives them these elements so that they would be reminded often that he is our provider, he is the one who satisfies, he is the one that gives us life. And he says, I want you to take this bread, which is my body, broken for you. Eat it and remember me, right? This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Through it, you are forgiven of your sins. You're cleansed and you're made whole. And all of your striving after other things to satisfy you, please know that that does not keep you from me. Because my blood is powerful enough to cleanse you. So we're going to celebrate what he's done for us as we come to the table and remind ourselves of that. And I want you to come with the saying to Jesus, in a sense, this is what I've been satisfied with. This is the thing which I believe will give me life. I'm bringing it to the table this morning. I'm going to leave it at the table and I'm going to take the elements that remind me of Jesus' life. And I'm going to walk away and ask that God would come and satisfy me in the deepest places of my heart. I hope you're willing to do that today as we celebrate, as we respond, as we remember him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you chose us. You came to this world to be for us the bread of life, the thing that you know we need to be satisfied. You've provided it already. Thank you that you know us well enough and care for us deeply enough to provide for us exactly what we need. And we have it in Jesus, so thank you, God. Please forgive us when we run to other things to look for our satisfaction. And I pray, Lord, that you would give your people today the confidence to come before you to respond by saying, do this exchange in my heart, God. Help me to see and to know and experience Jesus anew. Help me to be filled with his presence, not just so that I would be filled, but so that I could go and be a filler in this world. Lord, would you do that by your spirit today? We ask in Christ's name. Amen.